0: Ben, I really hope this isn't your last podcast with us. I hope Richmond and I, I know we give the Commonwealth of Virginia some flack from time to time, but I really hope you don't wash away with the the Carolinas um, once Florence comes in. Stay safe down there, dude.
1: Yeah, w- we are predicted to get anywhere between three inches ra- of rain or 25 inches of rain, <laughs> depending on which model you uh, you look at. And... This is September in early August, Richmond, Virginia already had more rain up to that point than it had in any other year in recorded history. So we don't need an extra, we don't need an extra three inches of rain. We definitely don't need an extra 25 inches of rain,
0: let either. alone all at once.
1: Right. Uh, can I tell a quick story about history and hurricanes you that I to learned today? You? No. Cause I edit this podcast. Um, <laughs> So the last time a Category 4 or 5 hurricane hit North Carolina was in 1952, a direct hit from what I've read. And there are still uh, parcels of land that are divvied up and are available for to look at on uh, the county GIS system that are owned by individual human beings that have been in the ocean for the past 60 years because of Hurricane Hazel in 1952. So it's possible to go buy a parcel that's just been in the ocean for 60 years that you hope may come back into Earth someday that you could build something on.
0: It's it's mind-boggling. Sea level drop is what you have to be hoping for. Or Or, uh, maybe Hurricane Florence blows that parcel back onto land. Yeah, or I don't think that's how real property works.
1: it, It would be a backwards hurricane. It would have to come from behind it'd have to come from the mainland towards the shore, which doesn't usually happen.
0: What's the opposite of Storm Surge? Uh, uh, Storm Retreat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, we have to root for Florence to do a Storm Retreat then. Yes,
1: please. Like uh, I have been I've been using my brain waves to try and uh force Florence back offshore. I know some podcast listeners have been uh putting their fans outside and like uh turning their fans on in the general direction of Florence to try and keep Florence offshore. Uh, my beloved William and Mary Pep band is going to uh uh convene on wednesday night and play zoot zoot right over and over again very loudly in the general direction of florence to try and scare it away so all <laughs> of these things are great and wonderful you should do all of these things and more uh to try and keep florence away
0: uh you should figure out like have someone from the military band go to uh william and mary and teach them the the cadences and sounds for for signaling retreat maybe florence will be up on uh you know go through the airs i'm sure there were different signals in different armies throughout time and just True. play all of them until florence turns around and goes back
1: well and at william and mary's suit right was the song we always played uh at the end of a victory game after we played the alma mater after we played the fight song when people were leaving the stadium we were like fuck it let's play Zoot suit right and so we did
0: this is why we don't let the band make decisions, usually.
1: It's, well, I mean, it was just because, like... No, it's... It was, the, it was the end of the game, and the Zoot Suit Riot always blew out the the lips of the brass players anyway, so we would only play it rarely. But at the end of the game, it was like, eh, fuck it, let's play Zoot Suit Riot.
0: Okay, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Zoot Suit Riot podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always... For now, anyway, by Ben Bromley down in Virginia, Jason Anderson over in Maryland. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United and uh, assuming the world, the East Coast, uh, the Mid Atlantic continue to exist into the future. That's what we will keep talking about. Tonight, we are talking about DC United's one to one draw in New York, and we're also previewing the upcoming week of games. There are two of them, uh, assuming. They happen. One will be Wednesday pre-hurricane, but still Ben's last game, possibly, you know, in the midst of a storm because it's 2018 and rainstorms are what we live in now. Uh, that one's against Minnesota. And then Sunday post-hurricane slash mid-hurricane, because the forecast is that it could just sit in North Carolina or Virginia and rain on us all like Hurricane Harvey did last year in Texas. Sorry, North uh,
1: Carolina, preferably you.
0: yeah uh preferably no one preferably retreat florence retreat yes
1: preferably out to sea
0: storm retreat um that one will may be against the red bulls assuming it happens which i i think is more of an open question Mm -hmm. than than i had previously acknowledged to myself or anyone else uh let's let's oh before we do anything though ben on this your last podcast what are you drinking
1: uh, I'm going to do a pickleback shot, which I may have done before. I can't remember if I've done that before on the podcast I don't think or you've
0: not. I've done it on the show before.
1: Yeah, it's just a shot of whiskey followed by a chaser of uh, pickle juice. I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Ooh, that's good. Mm.
0: You should have no, done I more slamming of the shot glasses. Just I should have. It's a medium then.
1: But. The pickle juice was really good after the bourbon. Okay. Man, Southerners are smart.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's like a whiskey sour in shot form without the sugar. Right. I I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, Jason, what are you drinking?
2: Uh, I had planned on making something that my friend and I kind of came up with at the beach. Um, uh, It's a rye and Armagnac uh, mint julep. But I could not find any mint at the grocery store. So I don't have mint or mint syrup. So I can't make a mint julep. So I have tequila. I have Patrona <laughs> and Yeho, uh, barrel select. Um, because I, 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 once I was defeated on my move to make uh, an actual drink with a process involved, I was completely uninterested in thinking of a new idea. It was just, what can I do that's the easiest thing? And this was it. You
0: should have come to my house. I have mint growing in front I mean, there of my are house other, right there now. Was,
2: there are other places to get mint. I just, I, I'm, I'm beat up. I'm barely going to make it through this show. So I did not have the wherewithal to get more mint or go anywhere else or, or do anything really.
0: That's, that's fair. I've been there. I feel that feel. Uh, I, I'll pick up the rye slack for you. I'm drinking rye tonight. Also neat. Uh, One eight distillings district made rye 94 proof very drinkable 94 proof um it's a good rye it's spicy but it's not as spicy as maybe some others it's but it's a good effort so i'm drinking it it's good uh should we talk soccer or should we keep talking hurricane because i could keep talking that. hurricane until well, it I hurricanes blows us away.
1: talk about
2: uh for some time I just,
1: hope, I, I just hope the tracks that I've seen are wrong and it doesn't also come at hurricane strength to DC because that the, that's on the table.
0: Yeah, there's like,
1: it's more unlikely now as, as the models have changed, but that was on the table uh, as recently as like 24 hours ago.
0: Yeah. One of the tracks I saw had it basically going straight up the Chesapeake in the, you know, the weather's out to get us kind yeah. of. <laughs> approach because that would just that would be real bad for a lot of people um anyway soccer dc united took a short-handed side up to new york not because of hurricanes but because of injuries and international absences they brought back a point one-to-one draw with NYCFC. goals from steve birnbaum and david via uh off of a what has to be called a perfect free kick for him uh and and Steve Birnbaum converted a Wayne Rooney free kick. Uh it was perfect in its own way. We'll talk about it a little later. Um weirdly United were ahead until very late in this one despite being outshot 31 to 2. Ben <laughs> that number is just so ridiculous and comic. Ben what was your thoughts? What were your thoughts watching this game in real time?
1: Um uh, I mean my thoughts were Anger at the refereeing, which we'll get to. Uh, Just laughing at Steve Birnbaum's goal because while it was well taken by him, well done by Wayne Rooney, it was just so ridiculous given the run of play, given the statistics you just put out there. And deep frustration, but eventually acceptance because David Villa and (laughs) NYCFC deserved that goal. They did not deserve to lose on the run of play. And I mean... David Villa's goal wasn't the goal you necessarily expected them to score, but uh, the Maxi Morales goal uh, was just insanely was just insane and should have been scored. So on the balance, yeah, of that things, one wasn't even a
0: save. That one wasn't even a save by Bill Hamid. No. Morales just missed the frame. Right. Um, so on the balance of play, it,
1: on the balance of play, it's it's acceptable. It's one of their very last road games. Uh, and they got a draw out of it, out of out of a very good team that until recently was a Supporters Shield contender, so overall, I'm okay with it, but I just had a, a lot of feelings
0: throughout the game. Yeah, this is the second game in a row where NYCFC had 30 or more shots and wildly outshot their opponent, and uh, they, they got one point from those two games, um, which is a, also a crazy stat, but that might actually be who NYCFC are at this point. Um, Matt Doyle has been chronicling their expected goals and their shot maps, and they have a, a million half chances that are all, you know, 6%, 7% type of, of looks at goal. And, and then they, they get one big chance and they may or may not convert it in this one. That big chance has been said was Maxi Morales. Um, Bill Hamid stopped some of their, their half chances that were on frame. Um, some of their others, they they missed. And then David vs of course, converted his uh, free kick, which was a very dangerous free kick. Um, I want to talk about D.C. United's approach in this game. Uh, it was actually kind of similar, I thought, to the Atlanta game, which United, you know, won three to one. But it was, it was definitely park the bus and then get out when you can. Uh, didn't really have the horses for that. We'll talk about the lineup in in a minute i guess they're they're kind of intertwined but with all the injury absences united didn't have uh their their speed out there and that i think affected things a lot their passing percentage was what like 60% in this one jason 59 <laughs> <sighs> well <laughs> it kind of sums it up right yeah yeah anyway what did you think about defending in a I I don't know how low of a low block versus mid block or or whatever you want to call it was, but they defended out of a four, four, two, just like they did against Atlanta. And, you know, to the extent that they held on to a lead until the last 10 minutes of the game, I I guess you can say it worked, but Uh,
2: I don't know. I, I don't think it was as defined a shape. Um, part of that is the disaster that is playing games at Yankee stadium, uh, their playing surface has three different types of grass. Um, There's most of the field is one type. That's not very good. Then there's the grass covering the infield dirt, which is really bad. And then there's actually a little patch of um, inner infield grass. um, The grass that surrounds the pitcher's mound that's inside all of the base path dirt. Oh, Um, in that one corner. Yeah. Right. There's a little bit of that along the one touch line. So there's three different grass surfaces within this like 40 by six yard field um, that 22 people are supposed to play soccer on. Um, Someone tweeted the site account during the game that said they said that the game should be um, nine on nine um, because of the field size. And it's honestly not, that's not silly. Uh, That's not a silly suggestion. That's a reasonable suggestion. Um, So the shape was a little less defined because there's, you know, this tiny field. that every if you watch New York City play on a regular basis, you see these chaotic games with these weird defensive shapes over and over because the field forces it. one, the field forces it on teams and two, New York City tends to dominate the ball. And so you spend your time chasing and it becomes this sort of a mess, um, which is partially why their home record has been so good. But also it doesn't it's it's kind of a joke that that stadium's still in the league. Um, but as far as, as DC goes, um, I don't know how much we can get out of this game because the lineup was so weird. Um, the situation is so weird playing there. Um, I think it's great that they fought their way to a point. Um, obviously, they got completely outplayed um, as far as chances, as far as having the ball. Um this certainly wasn't a perfect performance in the context of, even with the context of the lineup on the field, because, you know, United couldn't connect a pass to save their lives. It seemed like, um, they only got two shots, like in a game where you're playing this like pinball, uh, in this tiny surface, you should stumble into six or seven shots. Um, so that side of things is bad. Um, but given the context of the game that they found themselves in, Uh, the center backs I thought were tremendous. Bill Hamid was great. Um, and they found a way to get a point honestly, there's not much more, there's not much more to it there. It's one of those games that almost defies too much judgment because like, this is a game where Ian Hark's played right midfield. Uh, this is a game where the playing surface is the size of a guest bathroom. Um, what are you going to do? Like it's not, it's almost not soccer.
1: I just want to jump in and reiterate what Jason has hinted at that Yankee stadium is a farce of a stadium for soccer. And if it weren't for city football groups, money, and if it weren't for the situation that MLS was at, when they let them in, they would, this is just an unacceptable place to play soccer. And I don't know what, what MLS is going to do. They're probably just going to let it continue uh, indefinitely.
0: But I mean, I know that they—it's—it's it's just an, it, an I
1: mean, like they're sure. trying to get
0: them out of there, um, sure, it's, mostly sure. So that they can. I, I mean, the Yankees—they they, they recognize like, that it's not like, a good yeah, situation. But
2: I, like I'm trying to have ten million dollars, um, and I'm about as effective in that measure as they are at getting out of there. Like they don't have a plan. We talked about this with yeah, that's true. Rough last week. They want to. Uh, they have the desire. But they do not have, they don't know what their first step is other than wanting to get out, which they wanted
1: <laughs> to get out the whole time. It's like the crafts in New England. They have, they have all the money in the world. If they just wanted to splash an insane amount of money, they could, but they don't. They want to keep the cost as low as possible, and they're just willing to stay at their shitty current stadiums as long as possible until fate, AKA MLS, yeah. forces their hands.
2: I think their situation might be worse because they, I don't even I mean, know yeah, New York New York good. is
1: bad. Yeah.
2: Um, whereas with the crafts, it's been a lack of interest in doing anything. Like they haven't even gotten to the truly wanting to leave part, Um, which is a, you know, they're going to be like that forever. Uh, unless they, so let's say stumble into uh cheap Boston real estate, which I'm told doesn't exist. Um, so good luck to them with that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a problem for years. And as long as NYCFC keeps getting technical, intelligent players who can survive in this, like playing 11 on 11 in an indoor soccer arena, um, they're probably going to be making the playoffs every year, as, partially as a result. It's sort of like um, Dom Kinnear's uh, Earthquakes teams playing before they moved to Avaya when they were at um, uh, Spartan Stadium. Back in the day, Spartan, you know, the stadium had no business being in the league, but it was the only venue and they tailored themselves to it to a certain extent. And it meant that they were going to win, you know, 10 or 11 home games just from being used to playing uh, in the Thunderdome rather than in a soccer, a soccer stadium. Um, you know, it's it's a competitive advantage for them. And I'm glad D.C. found a way to walk out of there with a point, even though it's one of those like if you ever watched like those YouTube compilations of Russian dash cams, where you'll see someone walking through traffic and like nine cars crash and they fly through the air and a train hits them as well. And there's like a pedestrian that walked through it and just somehow wasn't hit uh, the whole time and gets across the road. Like, Oh, I survived. Um, this kind of, this was kind of like DC United is that pedestrian. It just, it's bizarre that they didn't lose this game like three to one. Like if you give up 31 shots that are all, five percent you know r- low xg chances there's still some of them are going to go in like it, it just happens most of the time there's a reason why um expected goals the whole thing hinges on these little chances eventually one of them goes in because it, it just that's how soccer goes um if you get outshot 31 to 2 you lose that game um but <laughs> and uh somehow uh they they Took their only real chance because if if you remember their other shot was Wayne Rooney's um quasi attempted bicycle attempt in the second minute, um and that was it. Uh, I mean it's great for them that they managed to turn that in that offensive output into a goal somehow, even if it took Sean Johnson's uh misread of a delivery. Um, but yeah, it's such a it's such a bizarre game, and I hope that. We don't have to play there again in 2018, but there's a distinct possibility that this could be the three versus six uh, knockout round matchup.
0: Right. As uh, along with rooting for Montreal and new England to lose. So DC United's uh, upcoming homestand has a better chance of pushing them into the sixth spot. We should probably be rooting for Columbus to win games so they can leapfrog NYCFC. Of course that means going to Columbus, which is not necessarily a good situation for DC. Either. So uh, who knows? Maybe NYCFC ends up being the better trip. I guess it's tough to say at this point.
1: <laughs> I think DC United should play every game at Audi Field except for their games against NYCFC. And then for those ones, they choose a uh, youth indoor sports facility about in Northern Virginia or Maryland and play them there.
2: How about they play their home games against NYCFC at the DC Armory? inside the um the roller derby track only if
0: the roller girls are there
2: right no the roller girls would be there as part of the crowd and and i guess we would you know the crowd would be on the track itself and the entire soccer game would be played within the oval Um, or just
1: elbowing any uh nycfc player that wanders too far
0: off the bench
2: Right. You well, go out I, for a
0: throw-in and you just get crushed.
2: I assume yes, exactly. that the bench is just in the stands uh, with everyone. So, um, what I'm actually suggesting is, like, a mosh pit. Um... Are,
0: but are, are Jr. <laughs> and King going to be calling the game when it's at the Armory, just to get a, a WWE feel for it?
2: Uh, well, I, th- I feel like we still got to leave room for Dave Johnson. Um,
0: right. But
2: if they can figure out a uh, three-man booth, uh, then... Uh, <laughs> You know, maybe Devin McTavish can crowd surf uh, and try and and do um, color commentary while being uh, tossed about by the crowd. Um, I think
0: he'd be up to it. (laughs) You know, most sports have sideline reporters at this point in time. I don't know how many have crowd surf reporters. Well, that's, you got to innovate. Yeah, I think, I think Devin would be up for that as well.
1: This is what millennials want to see.
0: Give the people what they want. Uh, what nobody wanted in this game um, was exactly what we got, and that's Kevin Stott. He <laughs> he stole some of the headlines from from the likes of Steve Birnbaum, David Villa, Wayne Rooney. Uh, Kevin Stott is who we were talking about because he put in a strong, strong performance for Worst Refereeing Showing of 2018. I think this has got to be a nominee. It's going to be a finalist.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for me, I'm... I'm I'll lay out what I saw. I know Wayne Rooney disagrees with me, but sometimes players want to minimize missed calls just because they don't want to get fined. So what I saw was a missed clear-cut penalty. Wayne Rooney should have gotten a penalty. Uh, Davin Villa should have gotten a penalty when uh, Chris Durkin chopped him down. And there should have been two red cards, Uh, the arm bar on Lucho Acosta and the uh the elbow on joseph mora both could have should have been red cards uh the one on acosta wasn't even a foul right like it wasn't even a yellow or was it the Mora one one of them wasn't even a foul well, and that was just i think bizarre
2: i think the acosta one ended up being called as a foul but in part because play had stopped because of a head injury um so i think after the fact he was like oh yeah that was a foul um
1: but yeah, <laughs> start was terrible. Um, I think that one ended up being a drop ball. I don't think it ended up being a foul. I think it was a drop ball because of the head injury, and they, he was just like, uh, it, uh, it, "It's fine here. Just deal with it."
0: Well, given United's recent history with referees stopping play and then restarting it with what should be a drop ball, I, I, I'm not going to complain about that specific <laughs> instance.
1: I think
2: uh, I will. I'm, 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 i'm pulling up the foul map and i think it was called as a foul um but still like he was atrocious uh he was a mess um he was bad for both teams um he did not seem to know exactly what constituted a foul uh he missed a bunch of it's not like like the things ben mentioned are all things he had a clear view on it wasn't like in a crowd of people something happened and oh you could forgive him missing it um these were clear as day like the um Amagat uh elbow stott was like six feet away looking right at it because the ball was there and it was just an elbow to the face um it, it was crystal clear um the penalties were both pretty obvious um var didn't get involved I, that also needs to be addressed the fact that Neither of those penalties resulted in a call down to him to uh, Jeff Gamble is also bad. Yeah, because the the whole thing is when it's clear and obvious, they call down. It's like, hey, you missed this. Go look at the monitor. And these were clear and obvious. And they did not. He did not look at the monitor. So
0: Jeff Gamble overcorrected because there's been so many instances uh, this year in MLS where uh, a VAR will say, I don't think you got that one right and send the referee to the monitor and it goes from borderline call one way to a borderline call the other way. It's not clear and obvious. And in this one, there were instances that were clear and obvious, but Jeff Gamble was was too reluctant to send uh, Kevin Stott to the monitor or to, to tell him he got it wrong. Um, it was like an overcorrection to the initial overcorrection. Yeah. And there, they, they got to get no it right. Explanation. I think,
2: Yeah, there's no it, explanation it, for how bad this was.
0: Yeah. There it, I, I think a good thing is MLS plans in the next few years. We learned from Jeff a goose and somebody else with the, uh, the head of VAR, uh, Howard Webb, Howard Webb. Yeah. um, they're planning on doing a war room like they did at the world cup where there are mul- there's there's a head var and then there are assistant vars who are in the room with him to say tell him when he's going too far or when he's got to to be a little bit stronger um and i'm saying he because we don't have women refs in mls yet and that'll change someday i'm sure and we'll we'll come up with a better pronoun than just he uh Not but sorry. the They'll, they'll, yeah, it, all refs, they'll, but th- they're got moving. Got them. To Catherine That's, true. That's true, but no, no VARs that are, that are women yet, uh, in MLS. Um, but they're, they're going to move the whole operation in New York rather than having VARs in some dark room by themselves in the stadium where the game is happening. They'll it'll be more like uh, major league baseball and the NFL's and I think okay. NHL's replay setups where they can have officials do multiple games, as long as they're not simultaneous and they'll, they'll get more reps that way that it won't be a spread out. There'll be a smaller universe of people doing it, which means hopefully a more consistent universe of, of decisions. So hopefully this is, you know, kind of the, the low point of it as they figure it out, because this was not an acceptable performance from either the center official or the VAR, I think in a lot of people's minds. And I think that's true for, uh, fans of both teams and for neutrals who watched it was, it was not a, a well-officiated game. Uh, thankfully the players kept their tempers in check. Nobody tried to, you know, tried too hard to, uh, get one by the ref. Um,
2: we did have a couple dives from, um, mostly from Valentin Castellanos, who, as the game mm -hmm. went on, just began hurling himself at the ground over and over. Um, but because Kevin Stott wasn't calling anything, uh, I don't know what it would have taken to get a penalty in this game. Like someone would have had to be ex- been exploded with a bomb um, that he witnessed the other players constructing, uh, and even then he would have been like, "Well, maybe I'll go to VAR for that."
1: Yeah, maybe somebody taking out a laclava and just like going for the knees. I don't know. It was
2: atro- it was atrocious. There's not much more you can say. It sucked. It sucked to see that the league is. We all deserve better than that. The players deserve it. The fans of both teams, neutrals who tuned in to watch this game. It's just, it wasn't good enough. I I think I saw uh, Steve Davis point out that um, Stott is 51. And generally speaking, in the better leagues in Europe, they all require referees to step down at 45 um, based on the concept of performance. Um, Now, I don't, I mean, if you're physically able to prove, and, and you know, pass all the testing and whatnot. Then I don't necessarily think there should be a hard age cap. But Stott clearly is—he's usually bad, and this was appalling.
1: I mean, come on—I I would much rather have uh, Jair Marufo or Mark Geiger or yeah,
2: Ricardo Salazar, even any of those over guys. Stott. Ted uncle would be fine over this level of Kevin Stott. This was the worst refereeing I've seen in a long time in MLS.
0: I haven't seen the referee assignments for, for this week yet. I'm curious whether stock no they
1: come out, they come out tomorrow and you, I mean, they're on two week. They're on two yeah, rotations. Usually. So he's, so he's probably, he's probably going to get assignments this week. It's probably not until next week that he's going to get uh, pulled out. If, if he gets pulled out, which he, he must be come on.
0: Yeah, something that bears watching. Uh, back to uh, the the part of the game we want to talk about, uh, at least I think, Ben Olsen's lineup was was interesting, to say the least. Um, it was a little bit more weird and interesting when the lineup was first announced on Twitter because the lineup graphic got it wrong. They had Ulysses Segura lined up next to Chris Durkin in defensive midfield with Russell Knauss out wide. And it was... One of because Segura's played there and because Ben Olsen has talked about using Knauss in different positions, it was one I was like, oh, that's surprising, but I guess we'll see how it goes. I bet they switch. And then a couple minutes later, DC United said this time for real and tweeted out the picture with Segura on the wing, Russell Knauss in defensive midfield, um, which is in fact where they played. Uh, it, It just could have been even weirder. But in this one, that there was plenty of weirdness to go around. Ian Hark started a game in wide midfield. Kevin Ellis, new signing, who's a fullback, who's played some time at center back, came in and played right midfield uh, in the second half. Such,
2: such as right midfield existed at the time. Yes, yes.
0: The, it was a <laughs> right
2: right center center strange
0: game. Uh, but,
2: yeah, like Ellis's position ended up being more like right back in a back six. <laughs> Yeah, um, like him and and Segura were essentially playing like wing back roles with a back four instead of a back three. It was, it got to that point where I mean, there all there was to be done was to defend. So,
0: so that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it when he came on, I assumed that United were moving to a back three. Because Jalen Robinson was the right back, he's a natural center back. He's played some fullback in his time, but he he's very much a center back first. Um, it was good to see him get minutes, he, even in such weird circumstances. United had four players on the bench. <laughs> Normally, you get seven. They had four. They they traveled with fifteen players. Um, I there's just so many different things you can. Uh, talk about that aren't particularly enlightening going forward, because this was a weird game <laughs> that had such weird circumstances. You had Yamil Assad injured. You had Paul Ariola off with the U S Darren Maddox off with the, with Jamaica Zoltan Stieber off with Hungary, um, Bruno Miranda off with Bolivia players up and down the roster. were just gone. 13
2: players were unavailable. They have 28 <laughs> players and almost half of them were not available. Um, Yeah, Uh, they couldn't really play counterattacking soccer, even because they had this is the slowest lineup they've put out in forever. Um, And the only fast player that they had two fast players in the squad and they were Ellis and Kelly. And Ellis had arrived like a day and a half before. And Dane Kelly, I mean, you can't fit him in the lineup uh, without this. I mean you could argue that maybe you put him in for harks, but then you've probably got a huge defensive liability in a game where every shred of defensive quality ended up counting. Um, So yeah, uh, there was no like this group of 15 players didn't fit together in any coherent lineup for, or formation that they've ever played. So, uh, you know, Olsen clearly did his best with the group. he said, I think he mentioned it was the smallest um, team meeting they had in forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, there I I can't fault him for fielding a weird lineup because he was left with 15 players that don't necessarily fit into a non weird lineup. Um, And he leaned into the fact that Yankee stadium is this tiny playing surface. So he said, okay, fine. We'll play five, four actual central midfielders and a fifth guy who can play central midfield as well as wide. Um, and you you know you tell the rest of you tell everyone look you're going to be winning a lot of challenges. Um, center backs winning a lot of headers, doing a lot of emergency defending, clearing the ball. Uh, tr- just try to avoid making big mistakes. Um, and yeah, I want to say again, Steve <laughs> Burnbum was excellent in doing all of that ball winning. Yeah. He was, I, like I said to you guys before, and I think this is the best he's played in at least two years. This game, um, he was phenomenal. Not even if you, even if someone else had scored the goal, um, I think you would have to say he was man of the match. Um, I know there are some people who felt Hamid was man of the match, but I think Hamid's job would have been much more difficult if not for Burnbaum showing up and playing at his absolute best. Uh, This was an extraordinarily difficult game for him and Kofi Opare, and they really delivered. Uh, Maybe not on the constructive soccer side but there wasn't any of that going around so you've got to find a way to do something with the circumstances and they did it um this doesn't happen this game they don't get a point out of this if those two aren't at their absolute best
0: uh i lost whatever i was going next chris durkin back in the lineup for this one that's good uh, nice to see him, even if yeah. it, the, the circumstances are weird. What'd you make of his showing?
2: I uh, I thought he did as well as he could, all things considered. He tried a few times when the ball found him to spread play wide, mm-hmm. um, wide. I guess I should put wide in, in quotes. Times. You can't see the um, air quotes. Yeah. Um, so he he tried he tried to get the ball into space. He tried to find ways to help United break out. Um, this playing surface and the lack of speed really served to blunt his ability to play those longer passes. Um, they're just, you know, it's difficult when you don't have speed and you don't have space for those to actually work. Um, obviously he got away with, uh, what should have been a penalty kick foul. Um, you know, I, I'm glad that he got to play and come through this environment, uh, on the positive side. Um, he, I believe on two or three different occasions, uh, in the last few games has been brought to the line to be subbed in and then DC ran out of time. Um, uh, or, or, or had to pull him was, back. Right. right a goal was scored and they had to switch who they were going to bring in. Um, so, you know, it's good for him to get back in the swing of things. I, I don't think Olson has just gone, gone to ignoring him. Um, not that anyone's really accusing him of that, but, um, I think he's still very much in the picture. Um, I don't think there's any hesitation of trotting him back out on Wednesday against Montreal. And fortunately, uh, Audi fields dimensions are, uh, respectable <laughs> and real, um, and not some sort of, uh, preposterous, uh, number that you would laugh at. Um, I think he's going to have a pretty good game. I, I think he's kind of ripe to play well against Minnesota because they aren't really good defensively. Um, but we'll talk about that in the next segment. Um, yeah, I, I thought he did well, all things considered. I think they all did well on the defensive side of the ball, given the amount of just cle- getting the ball clear, blocking shots, all that stuff. Um, it's not glamorous. Uh, none of none of it was. There's no. There was no glamour in this game at all. Um, but it's good to see that you know we've said in the past that Durkin is maybe. Not as good defensively as he is going forward as a defensive midfielder, and this game was all about his ability to help defend, and he came through it. So give him give him credit for that. Um, It'll also be a game that he probably uh, will want to forget as far as passing, but that's how it was for everybody. You know.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that I think this game, uh, Durkin learned more than he helped DC United, but it, it turned out fine because. Hopefully, this will help Durkin figure out better ways to play in the future. And he wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it was a definite, definite growing experience for him.
0: Yeah, there's, there's only ever so much you can take out of the Thunderdome that is <laughs> Yankee Stadium, and I was, I, I've been there for one game as a neutral. Uh it was actually the what what they call the Red Wedding up there when the Red Bulls went into Yankee Stadium and won seven to nothing or seven to one or or some nonsense score. Um that part wasn't fun, but but watching a chaotic, almost indoor type game as a neutral, well semi-neutral, I was rooting against the Red Bulls, of course. Um what was an entertaining experience that said, Come on, let's fix this stadium situation and get real soccer up there. Uh d c United is going to have a couple players coming back for the game against Minnesota on Wednesday. Paul Ariola has been released from u s. Okay. National team camp. Darren Maddox is coming back from Jamaica. Um, i I didn't get a chance to double check to make sure that's the entire list, but, uh, the yeah, okay.
1: I mean, Assad uh, might be coming back from injury, but right. Yeah. Assad
2: yeah, and may or may not play. But as far as national team returnees, is just two yeah. of the five.
0: Right. Uh yeah, two important so,
2: ones out of the five.
0: Yes, absolutely. Paul Areola means we, we have an actual outside <laughs> midfielder to play outside midfield. Uh Darren Maddox means we have an actual uh forward who has scored goals in MLS to back up Wayne Rooney. Um uh, potentially huge uh additions to the team coming back uh somewhat fortuitously. Um One last thing I want to talk about going into that Minnesota game before we take a break um, is the short rest. This is the third time in six weeks uh, or or five weeks that DC United has a three game in eight or nine day stretch. And it's that that's the schedule they signed up for this year without a field opening so late. Uh, The back two of these three are going to be at home. The first one obviously was, that that crazy thing on saturday um a couple weeks ago jason you talked about the difference between uh 2 days of rest versus 3 days of rest and and that being the difference we saw in dc united in the loss against philly actually this was just last week it's God, time <laughs> is crazy right now uh the loss against philly came on 2 days rest whereas the the win against atlanta where the team was much more energetic much more focused and much more capable uh that came on three days rest that 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 seems to be a big line in in recovery of the modern player and both of these games despite being on less than a week's rest they are both on three days rest um which i'm assuming means very little rotation uh that seems like a safe assumption given that there's very few extra bodies available to sub in (laughs) right now um so whether or not Uh, There were any red flags on the the biometric telemetry. Uh, I I would expect most of the same players to start, but hopefully that that extra day of rest actually means something again this time, like it did against Atlanta.
2: Yeah. And I will say that Atlanta or, you know, getting going out and playing Atlanta on that rest. I I don't think they put in the amount of work um, against Philly. That they did against NYCFC. I mean, yeah. that was, it's a very physically draining thing. Olson alluded to this a couple weeks ago when he said that it used to be very, very tough physically to play for DC United because they just had to outwork everybody all the time. And against NYCFC, it was all about hard work and there wasn't a lot of letting the ball do the work. It was a lot of running as hard as you can, physical challenges, getting hit with the ball, trying to block shots, things like that. Um, the getting the in the face.
0: a little bit shorter.
2: Sure. Uh, but you know, many more of them. Um, yeah. so it wouldn't shock me if, you know, we're probably going, I mean, we're going to see at least one change because you know, Ariola is going to get plugged into the lineup. Um, that that's fairly obvious, but you know, there may be one more player that needs a break. Um, I'm, I'm not guessing who I'm just saying that, we might see more than one change just for the fact that they had to do so much defending um the plus side they didn't have a long trip that part's easier they didn't have to get on a plane and fly 4 or 6 hours um that part's nice but um there aren't that many options i mean if assad and fisher are both fit to play i really doubt they're going to be fit to start so you know it, there still isn't a lot that also doesn't have a lot of options. Um, he may have more options, but it's more compared to the shortest bench that DC United has played since. I want to say there was a game back in like 2007 or 2008 where, um, or maybe 2009 where they had to call in, uh, JP Rodriguez from one of the old Miami FCs, um, one of the like three or four of those um, they had to sign him to a like four day contract uh, just to have 14 players to have three substitute options that weren't goalkeepers. Um, it's been that long since they've done that. So r- compared to it's going to be like, we're we're going to feel spoiled because we'll have like five subs <laughs> instead of three. Yeah, um,
0: you, You've seen teams leave players at home and go with a short bench for open cup games when they're, obviously not taking it seriously, but it's pretty rare to see benches that short for MLS. And right. uh, hopefully I, I understand why DC United is playing through an international break right now. Um, and it, it's just unfortunate that injuries are what they are at this point in the year. But they, it, I, I like that DC United has consented less to playing through international breaks the last couple years. Um, and hopefully next year when they have complete control over their home schedule or almost complete control, I guess they have to work around the Nats some to make sure they're not conflicting in schedules there, but they'll they'll have a lot more control over their home schedule and we'll be able to hopefully avoid playing in international breaks for almost the entire year. That would be nice. That would be helpful <laughs> Yep, because DC United has more players that are gone now <laughs> when they were terrible and they didn't have internationals. It was less of a big deal right uh, i think that's it for this segment hearing hearing no corrections uh we will be right back stick around this is filibuster hey ben um you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment would you you can tell uh, me
1: depends i mean well i should ask you i mean is our goats hostile
0: Welcome back to filibuster programming note. Um, we are going to talk about Minnesota and the Red Bulls in this, but we have to cut in because during the break, Ben told us that he is currently finishing a bottle of rum that he doesn't enjoy. Correct.
1: It's, I need to do it because of the impending hurricane. I need to finish this bottle of rum so I can then have said bottle to fill with water so that I can survive the hurricane, or at least that's what I'm telling myself.
0: Ben, for Bottom, your sake, bottom's I up. really hope it doesn't come down to this bottle. No, it it makes sense. What, what Ben's doing is right.
1: <laughs> I feel I feel just and righteous to be on the side of Jason.
0: <laughs> I mean, as long as you feel good about your decision, I I, I guess that's what matters right now. Man, this room sucks that's though. Party <laughs> black is not good. Oh God, Benjamin. It's not good.
1: It's not no, good. It's, it I tried. To to, be, the bottle gonna, needs to be
0: empty. You're going to have to use more water to rinse that thing out. I know. then it actually holds.
1: I tried to get some discount Goslings for Dark and Stormies, and then I realized this is why people pay for Goslings because it's way better than McCartney Black.
0: <laughs> DC United have two games at Audi Field coming up this week, assuming. You know, uh, Audi Field doesn't wash out to sea and become inaccessible as it floats. It could be uh,
1: Richmond's. New, it could be Richmond's new stadium because it, it would just have to make its way up here.
0: the James River and your famous rapids or whatever um, to to become your new stadium. I I'm I'm picturing more of just a a floating Thunderdome on the sea. It'll float down the Potomac out out to the bay and then out into the Atlantic.
1: Who It'll are the Serenoso BayHawks? Aren't the Bayhawks a thing?
0: They're a lacrosse team.
1: Oh, uh, that's worse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've been told the stadium can host lacrosse games. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there are two soccer games coming up this week. The first one is against Minnesota United Wednesday night, 730. Watch it on News Channel 8. That'll be followed by National TV Date with the Red Bulls. Sunday afternoon, not Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, 1pm on ESPN, assuming they don't have to uh, find alternative programming because the entire Mid-Atlantic will be flooded uh, by Hurricane Florence. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully uh, the William and Mary marching band can either convince Florence to dance and swing and Jump, jive, and whale out there in the Atlantic, or else sound a a, a hasty retreat. Um, let's talk about the Loons first. They are ninth in the Western Conference right now on twenty nine points, and it's nice to talk about a team in the Western Conference that's on fewer points than DC United, which Damn. Minnesota are. Uh, they haven't played a game since August twenty fifth, which is many days ago. <laughs> they haven't won uh, or conceded fewer than two goals. In six games, which was since July 22nd, they have no road wins or draws. That's the Adrian
1: Heath I know and love.
0: Yeah. uh, (laughs) Since beating Orlando City, Adrian Heath's former team, in March, (laughs) that was their last win on the road. They are... uh, They ain't great. No, and we're not
2: even getting their best shot. Uh... They're missing a ton of guys. I actually have the whole list. Should I, should I just read the whole list? Yes. The whole list. All right. Uh, Michael Boxall is suspended. Uh, Francisco Calvo, Rasmus Schuler, and uh, one of the Ibarra's is away on international duty. Uh, Sam Cronin is injured. Kevin Molino is injured. Um, Ethan Finley is injured. Uh, Mason toy started recently, but was sent on loan so he could get more games and it's most likely that he's going to stay on loan rather than come back, which is weird because they are very short handed. Um, Eric Miller uh, is trying to get healthy for this one, but it does Wait, not. The Eric Miller. The Eric Miller. Um,
1: forgot about that guy.
2: Yeah. Uh, he is trying to get fit, but it does not sound like he is able to do much of anything other than, jog and do like rehab stuff on the sideline. So he's probably out. Um, that's a lot of players for a team that doesn't have too much in the way of good depth. Um, as I was saying to you, to you guys off the air, there is a chance that Mark Birch starts this game, uh, which hasn't mean, happened in a
1: while. You mean Mark Birch's left foot?
2: Yes. Uh, Mark Birch's left foot um, and also the rest of his body. Um he's played funnier if times. it was just his left foot if they just sent his left foot out there and like he was still it would just, just it would just
1: it would just blast free kicks like right. 50 50 yards over the goal forever
2: Birch I am looking this up now has not appeared in MLS play for Minnesota since April 14th uh he played the first half of a 3-2 loss uh at Portland um he uh, he has four appearances this year but they all came between the start of the season and April 14th, he hasn't played for a second since then. Um, but they are in, especially in the back uh, in extreme dire straits. Um, Wyatt Amberg, a rookie they drafted. Um, he's probably got to start because if Almsburg doesn't start, Birch probably has to play center back. Um, that's where they're at right now, defensively. So um, great for United to get to play a team that's missing this many guys. Cause it's kind of like DC showed up at New York city on the weekend.
0: Re- remembering Mark Birch though, I, I would almost rather have him be at left back just against Paul Areola, just to watch Areola cover 30 yards in the time Birch right. covers five. Uh,
2: Significant chance that that's actually what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and also Mark Birch is one-on-one defending on the ball. I, I, I have this, image burned in my mind of of Freddie Montero just ripping the soul out of Mark Birch's body. Uh, Weirdly, it came out of his stomach, not out of his chest like you would think, but his soul just ripped out of him. Um, And I I think Freddie Montero has it on a wall somewhere. Um, Not just... uh, Good for Mark Birch for still playing professional soccer in MLS or or getting paid.
1: Maybe he's just a warlock and he can... Manipulate people into continuing to play his left foot,
2: perhaps. I, uh, look, I don't know what goes
0: on up there. Um, this is a team that kept Adrian Heath around. Uh, again, I was gonna get to that. I yeah. want to know what the hell he's still doing with this job <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm I mean, not advocating for his ouster, but I, I don't understand how he's. I still mean, a, apparently,
1: apparently, the North remembers Mark Birch's left foot. Uh,
2: I get the way the way I'd put it with with Heath and uh, just pulling up my first thought with Heath was like, how bad is Minnesota's defensive record? Um, because it's an Adrian Heath team. You know, they've given up goals because they're hopelessly naive um, and the Galaxy and Orlando are the only two teams to give up more goals this season than Minnesota. And Minnesota's given up 52 goals in 26 games, which is for anyone that's done the math already. Exactly two goals a game. Um, as Adam said already, they've given up two or more goals in six straight. Um, they're bad. Uh, they, they do have Darwin Quintero. He's almost certainly going to start this game, which is bad news because Darwin Cantero is awesome, but they can't defend to save their lives.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to throw another programming note here. Ben is, is, bitching on Twitter because Jason, <laughs> you and I did not laugh at his The North Remembers joke. It was, guys, Ben made a Game of Thrones joke on, on the podcast.
2: Watch, I do not watch that show other than one episode. I don't watch it either. A season finale. Um, <laughs> I did not find it compelling. Uh, I thought I actually, was- I've
0: read all the books. I really enjoy the show for the most part. Uh, it, it, It's problematic at times, but uh, it it, it's easy enough to get past it just for the the visual effects and and to find out what happens to some characters which uh you you grow to care about um sorry Ben sorry I didn't laugh at your joke
1: it's okay we didn't need to do a segment about it
0: <laughs> well you, you put it on Twitter you put it out there i had yeah. i felt the need to yeah to Twitter sucks defend myself and or apologize and or put you on blast for, for putting me on blast in a different medium. I uh, Jason, anything else on Darwin Quintero? Because he seems to be, even when Minnesota's fully healthy, he seems like they're, they one and only true weapon at yeah. this point. And he's real good.
2: Uh, I'm interested to see whether they play with a back three as they've done frequently, but not exclusively in the last in their last games, which I was about to say recently, but you know, their last games were all in August. Um, you know, if they play with a back three, he's probably going to play as a second forward. Um, if they play with a back four, he's probably going to play as a number 10 rather than as a second forward. Um, the main thing with, with Quintero is that he's always looking to lob the goalkeeper. Um, no one loves lobbing a goalkeeper like Darwin Quintero loves lobbing a goalkeeper. So um, Bill Hamid probably needs to be maybe a step closer to his goal line when cantero's is in possession than he normally is. Um, and in general, he needs to be accounted for. It's not one man's job to track uh, Quintero because he's really good at finding um, the seams in a defense and kind of, you know, he's not necessarily going to be part of the build up so much as he just he's waiting for someone to pass him the ball so he can do Darwin Kintero stuff. Um, and to his credit, he's really good at doing that stuff. Um, it's a little bit of hero ball, but there's a reason why they paid so much money to get him. It's he's go- he can make that work. He's sort of a like a better version of Fabian Espindola in his way. Um, in that he's basically just like hanging out waiting for someone to give him the ball, and then everyone else is just supposed to help him do uh, his thing. Um, and that's I mean, he's got 10 goals and nine assists in 19 games like it's it's working that that by itself is the most that's actually now that I'm looking at it. That's 50 percent of their goals that he's been directly involved in. Um, they have 38 for the season. and He's involved in 19. Um, so if United keeps track of Darwin Quintero and they don't let him get too many touches in spots where he can actually do something. They're probably going to win this game pretty comfortably. It's just that Darwin Cantera is pretty good at making sure that he gets his consequential touches. Um, so this might be a game where United has to go put you know three on the board to make sure that they get the win. Um, Minnesota's definitely used to losing a three two or a three one. That's kind of their that's kind of their jam this year. Um, but you know United needs to make sure that they're actually producing that because if this thing is one nothing at like the seventy fifth minute, you should be worried because. You know, Cantaro's Cantaro. Quintero. Um, they have some other decent players. It's not, you know, Ibsen is pretty good, even though he's, I think, fifty-eight years old. Um, Miguel Ibarra, whether he's playing as a wing back or as a winger, um, is still pretty dangerous. Um, the guy that they traded, they kept Angelo Rodriguez and traded Christian Ramirez for reasons that will never ever be explicable. Um, Rodriguez is fast and works hard. Um, He's not nothing, it's just, you know, um, he's sort of out there to clear room for Cantero rather than score goals like Christian Ramirez. Um, but still, there's there are some decent players on this team going forward. It's not going to be, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, an easy game. Like, this is a bad team, but they're not helpless. Um, so, you know, if they shut down Quintero, if they make it hard for Ibsen to play, then they're probably in good shape, but those things are easier said than done.
0: One last question on, on Minnesota, Colin Martin up there now, DC United homegrown product um, traded to Minnesota. um, Now up there famously came out only active gay athlete in MLS. uh, I think in major American team sports, men, men's team sports at at the moment. how does how is he fitting in? I looked at their lineup sheet from the last couple of weeks, and he was actually playing at the six in yes. one game, which is not the Colin Martin I remember.
2: Well, that's Adrian Heath for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, in the game that you're talking about, he they played a four-one-four-one, and he was the link between the defense and the midfield. And they've done that with him before. Um, they are more concerned about his ability to distribute uh, and connect than they are. There. Adrian Heath doesn't really worry about defending. That's the whole reason he's not a good coach is that he doesn't really concern himself with um, when they don't have the ball. It's all about, well, let's, we'll possess, we'll do this, we'll do that. And it's like, well, what happens when you don't have the ball? He's like, ah, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um,
0: they've been so, badly outpossessed in their last several games.
2: Yes, uh, which is why the results have gone the way they've gone. Um, but, you know, M- Martin, their perspective on him is different. When he was here, he was seen more as, Possibly a number ten. Olsen used him wide uh, sometimes, but not really as a winger. Sort of a you know tucking in some inside from the wing kind of role, um, like in Harks, right? Um, and in Minnesota, over time, at first they were not really. I, I I don't know that they knew what to do with him. And over time, Adrian Heath has started seeing him as more of a as a number eight or as a number six. But in both cases, it's much more about his passing ability, which is still really good. Um, there's never been an issue with Colin Martin connecting his passes. That's always been something he's been able to do against anybody. Um, is, you know, they're shorthanded enough where he might be starting this game. Um, but it also depends on what they, what their plan for this is. If they decide to play back three, I don't think he's going to start. Um, if they play the back four, they might think that the way to solve DC United is to just, keep as much possession as they possibly can and kind of follow the Philadelphia unions game plan, which is um, to keep DC from getting to play of the game that they want to play by connecting their passes uh, and slowing things down, getting DC frustrated and then taking advantage. Um, but I don't know if they can actually pull it off and I don't know that they're actually going to do it because, you know, in August they played three, five, two, they played four, one, four, one, then they went to three, four, one, two with, um, uh, Ibsen playing as a, as a number 10 way ahead of the rest of the midfield. So um, it's hard to predict with the number of guys they have out what they're going to do, but it's po- I, I think he's going to play some part. I bet no matter how the game goes that Heath will find a way to get him in the game. I don't think he's going to start. Um, but if he does start, look for – it's kind of a signal. Um, if they start Colin Martin, then you should expect Minnesota to just try and keep the ball as much as they possibly can and, and play – slow tempo uh, possession soccer based on frustrating DC by making them chase, which is a, you know, Adrian Heath, that's the kind of soccer he wants his teams to play. So there's definitely he, he, I'm sure he's got the thought in his head, like, man, it would be really cool if we just played uh, pure possession soccer, pure keep away. Um, so it's not impossible. It's just maybe less than likely.
0: Fast forwarding to Saturday assuming Saturday comes uh the Red Bulls are coming back to Audi field they won their their first visit one to nothing they won the return date at Red Bull arena one to nothing um other than score more goals than the Red Bulls other than the John Madden approach uh, what what does DC United need to do to you know flip the script on on this year against the Red Bulls Uh (laughs) put the ball in in it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Follow the John Madden approach.
2: I mean, they haven't created a ton of chances against the Red Bulls, but they've created enough to have four points out of these two games they've played against them so far. Um they should have won at Red Bull Arena. They just didn't convert their chances. They should have snatched a draw uh at Audi Field. Um Mm -hmm. they were pretty poor in the first half of that game, but then when Rooney came in, they they created, even though they didn't play very well, they still created three or four pretty good looks. Yamil Assad happened to just not shoot that night. It wasn't even that he was finishing badly. It was that he was opting not to shoot for reasons unknown. Um, but yeah, the, I, I think they're getting close to getting over the hump against the Red Bulls. Um, and I think maybe they just need to see one go in and sort of believe that they can score on the Red Bulls because... They're, they aren't going to get a ton. No one gets a ton of chances against the Red Bulls unless they have like multiple red cards. Um, but the chances they've created have been good enough and you would have expected them to get uh, goals by now. So just to, to a certain extent, it's about belief and finishing um, as much as it's uh, about anything else. I think they've shown that they can make the Red Bulls play. I mean, maybe not make them play exactly what DC United wants because the Red Bulls have still managed to turn those games into sort of the slop fest that their whole high press setup is designed. But, uh, yeah, I I think a lot of it is just going to come down to, um, actual execution in the attacking third because they've had the looks. They, they, they really should have done something against the Red Bulls by now.
0: One thing that's, um, caught my eye about about the red bulls and i i think other people because i'm completely stealing this from other people online um the red bulls have been much less direct under Armas than they were under jesse marsh a lot more passes in the final third um compared to the number of shots uh i, and I am curious what you guys think of how that affects DC United and the reasons for it. I have my, my hypothesis for it. And that's no more Sasha question to receive the pass and immediately find the right through ball to Bradley Wright Phillips, which is, was his role. uh, Once the Red Bulls got the ball and he allowed them to be so direct, I think personnel is part of it. But uh, I also think that this potentially helps DC United because their transition defense hasn't been great in 2018 and the more time they have to set up defense the the better they they've been Um obviously yeah. the red bulls scoring two goals in two games is well below their their normal output
1: yeah i, I think that that um giving russell canals and chris durkin or junior moreno and then the back line of Steven Birnbaum and Kofi Apari, more time to set up, more time to uh, just get into that one additional position to block out a pass is going to be more beneficial to DC United. Uh, Previously, Russell Knauss hasn't been in the picture for games against the Red Bulls, not at full capacity, so he's now at a level where he's able to do a lot of things on the defensive end that... Uh, that the team hasn't been able to do for the first half of the season. And so that combined with Stephen Birnbaum playing excellently, Kofi Apare playing excellently, uh, this team is harder to play up the middle. And if you're going to take a couple extra passes, that just helps them settle into a defensive block to help uh, defend against you. And it was evident in the last game against them that they were that close to pulling out a draw or pulling out a win and coming home. It's just going to be, if they can do the same amount of frustration, they're going to be even that much closer.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good way to look at it. Um, I I don't know what else there is to change too much um, other than a little bit sharper. Um, They can probably do a little better uh, possession wise than they've done against the Red Bulls, especially at home. I would like to see them um completing a few more passes and pulling the Red Bulls around a little bit, getting them you know using that pressure as you know- it's kind of like the judo technique of letting people come at you and then you know moving aside and tripping them or what have you um letting the Red Bulls press be their downfall um I think United has the players to pull it off um with Rooney and there are and a couple of sequences. Especially.
0: There were a couple of sequences in the last game where United moved the ball left to right and right to left and more importantly, back to front very quickly Mm -hmm. through the press with one and two touch passing. It was really, really nice. If they could do that more consistently, um, obviously, they'd be a, a, a much more dangerous team, but it would be especially useful this weekend.
2: Yeah. And, you know, hopefully the supporting cast comes through a little bit, I think. Um, with Rooney and Acosta in the high press, what you might want to see is those two and the ability they have to play in such tight spaces, drawing people in and then getting that third run. And that's who the danger man is. So someone like Paul Ariola, I think would be, um, could be very, very dangerous. Um, Russell Canales has actually shown a knack for, uh, making that deep run from time to time. So we might see him being very dangerous going forward as that extra runner. Um, but that's where it has to come from. It can't just be the um, Senor Wayne and Lucho show. It, it, it to beat the Red Bulls, they need somebody else chipping in. Whether it's the returning internationals, um, whether it's the guys that are already here, someone else has to provide that extra run. Um, because I think with Rooney and Acosta, you can drag the rest of their you know you can drag one of their center backs forward. Their midfield will collapse, and I think those guys have the skill to make that extra pass and and get um four and five guys into one tight space and then play out of it. I think they can do that. Um they just need somebody else to make the run. It can't just be those two all the time. Um and for the most part that hasn't been the case but lately um against Atlanta and against NYCFC it did seem kind of like well Lucho and Wayne will do it and that's that's what we got. Um, and I do want to see more from you know ariola made a couple good runs from right back uh he won the penalty obviously but um if he's playing in the midfield again i think we need to see more of him making those runs because i think that's where the i think that's the key really is is getting that third runner to run in the box because you can you can drag everybody in but rooney and acosta can't drag them in and then also get into the box that's you know that that's like needing teleportation i don't think they have the ability to do that
0: Maybe it'll be invented by Saturday. It probably won't be legal in soccer, but it One might. One of not them will become illegal. a nightcrawler. It won't uh, be
1: illegal. I mean, you yeah. gotta you gotta specifically make it illegal under the Airbud clauses of nineteen ninety
0: nine. I I think the mo- in modern parlance, those are the e-scooter uh, rules. Is they're legal unless you say they're not.
1: I mean, yes, but that's not as fun as a pop culture reference.
0: It, that's true, Air Airbud was fun. I mean, yes, I we have, don't we, know we that st- they needed 17 of them, but
1: yes, we we have stupid bird scooters here too and they just dropped them down here, but that's not as fun.
0: Oh, I'm not anti-scooter. I just that their methods are
1: Yeah, I'm not anti their
0: methods.
1: Yeah. we we can go on an anti-capitalist screed later.
0: <laughs> Anything else before we we sign off and have our various capitalist anti-capitalist screeds offline Uh,
2: it's probably important to win against the Red Bulls yes getting the the draw against NYCFC was um, a positive in a way but it does mean that all this talk of games in hand DC can still get ahead of Montreal if they win their games in hand but the margin is back down to very 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 thin I believe it's a one-point margin so um, it's not just important to beat the Red Bulls for beating the red bulls sake it's not just for team psychology against a given team it's also just important because dc united needs to win a bunch of games still to get in the playoffs like as good as things feel like they're going um this is still going to be a coming in at the last second um probably needing to go win at chicago on the final day of the season kind of situation so um picking off Three points against the Red Bulls and against Minnesota—it's it's critical. These aren't just games where it's about feeling good; it's they're vital. Yeah, the, well, it's, the games it's
0: worth the, noting. The game's... It's worth noting that DC United hosts Montreal in their next game after the Red Bulls after a, a week off. So there's it, it, that—that's not a game in hand, but the the season does get very very real right now.
1: Well, and it's just—it's been fine because we've been going on and off with games on the road games at home and not getting wins on the games of uh, uh, on the road have been okay. but now we've got seven games in a row at home and we've got to win almost all of these and so any dropped points at home are basically disastrous at this point.
0: We're in it now. so let's do it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been filibuster. It remains filibuster. Uh, find us online at black and red United on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U for the website. We're on Patreon. If you want to support us financially, patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, our, our patrons have allowed us to improve our audio processing uh, in provide transcripts for for people who uh have trouble listening to podcasts and, and other improvements that we are very, very grateful for. Or
1: who just don't want to listen to me. I mean, I understand it
0: or my rambling. I mean, it's easier to read my rambling. I'm sure Than actually I'm not sure. I don't know. There are lots of commas. If, if I'm properly uh, transcribed, I don't know that the automatic transcription gets all the commas and M dashes that are in my, my language, but uh, I certainly hope so. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com for Jason and Ben. Oh, tell a friend about the show. That's the number one thing. That's what I want to leave you with. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we will talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I'm going to Ben. Ben's going to hurricane prep.